Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of That Creative Life. This is so exciting because I dragged my dad onto the pod. Um, you know what, I don't know if he's if he's happy to be here. He's I don't think he is at all, but he's sacrificing his time for you guys so you can understand the the power of understanding money. <laughs> Say hello, Dad. Hello. <laughs> I am so happy to be here. He is so happy to be here. It's so funny bringing normals into this space. People just get so uncomfortable. But a little background. As I've grown up and met people of different walks of life and different, you know, it's just some people don't talk about money. And I realized that it's a terrible disadvantage of not being comfortable with money, how to manage it, but also keeping it in cash forever. I was so intimidated by the stock market. School doesn't teach you. It doesn't teach you anything. So just in the past, I would say three or four years, have I gotten more comfortable with watching videos on it, Googling it, and then I've had a a wealth of information to be able to go to my parents and be like, okay, but what is an index fund? Okay, but what is this? And because they have experience in this, and both of them actually met each other at Fidelity, which is a financial institution, which is funny. Um, So they have experience kind of working in it. Um, They're not like crazy hedge fund people or anything. They're just normals who have a normal job after Fidelity. My dad went on to uh, work at Microsoft. He was a manager at Microsoft. Um, So you've had a 401k. A lot of these people who, who listen to this podcast are freelancers and people who aren't attached to big companies. So when you graduate from college, they don't have that moment where, oh, okay, my company is setting up a 401k for me. What does that mean? Okay, they'll match it. So we're coming from a, a place where we're going to assume no one knows anything. Okay? Okay. 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 And first half of the podcast, we're going to do the basics for people. All right? Okay. So we're going to go through the basics. You're going to learn a little bit about my dad. And the second half, we're just going to get super in the weeds about the the time in the world that we're in, how it's just insane. The stock market has been crazy volatile, rightfully so. People are losing their jobs and things are crazy, right? But then now we're seeing that things aren't functioning the way they should be. Oh, the Fed is pumping money, propping it up. Things are happening. So we're going to cover all the things. I know that was a very lengthy introduction, Father. But welcome. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And then we have our studio audience, uh, my brother, John. Um, Hey, John, what's up, bro? Hello. Oh, we just got the whole family here. This is filmed in a live studio audience. Live studio audience in Dallas, Texas, introducing the Deechies. Before we hop into today's podcast, and oh, it's a good one. Thank you for tuning in. I would just like to say thank you to BNH Photo for sponsoring this podcast. BNH is a group of people who are passionate about things you're passionate about from photography, film, music, art, technology, creating, and just imagining whatever your, your world entails. Are you a gamer? Do you need that caption card? Do you want to turn your camera into an amazing webcam for all those Zoom calls you're doing right now? Well, hey, BNH will have. All of that tech for you at bnhphoto.com. And what is so amazing is, well, first of all, BNH is the largest non-chain electronics retailer in the U.S. For a little context, um, but what's amazing is you can still pick up at the BNH Superstore within only 13 minutes. 
uh, minions. Wow. <laughs> Off to a great start over here. Um, but you can pick up at the B&H Superstore within 13 minutes in New York City. And then there's free next day shipping in New York State. And then wherever you're shipping worldwide, you can go to bnhphoto.com to see how fast they can get you your product. Um, but it's pretty speedy. And in the grand scheme of things, I think, uh, you know, things that we're used to getting delivered in only two days are now taking a month. Uh, and they they are still getting things delivered very, very quickly. So check out the link in the show notes below for updates on shipping times. But again, they have anything that your heart would desire when it comes to cameras, photo, video gear, all of the tech. And then uh, in the middle segment, I always bring you a fun new piece of tech and chat about it. And we we got the new MacBook recently, the new 13-inch MacBook Pro. There's not a ton new about it. It's not super exciting, um, but the internals are what is the most interesting. So uh, make sure to stay tuned for that brought to you by BNH. And that uh, that link, of course, will be down in the show notes below that BNH link, like always. And then, you know, if you're like, wow, this mic, this mic sounds really crispy. This this must be a good mic and recorder. Well, you can check out the links of my uh, BNH links for for that. If you're curious about that, if you want to start your podcast, in these interesting times, a lot of people are doing it. A lot of people are doing it. Okay. Um, without further ado, let's get into the podcast. Hopefully you find all of this helpful. Okay. So this is a safe space, father. This is a safe space. There's no video. It's just audio. We're just going to hang out. Okay. So I want to start with the basics, the literal basics. What is the difference between a stock and a mutual fund? Okay. So a stock is a single ownership in a particular company. Mm -hmm. You own a stock in Microsoft, you own Microsoft. A mutual fund is a collection of stocks that have a particular objective. For example, <clears throat> growth or aggressive growth or income. So a mutual fund could own 500 stocks with the objective of growth. In other words, these aren't dividend stocks, they aren't ExxonMobil, that is a slow-growing, high-dividend-paying stock. Or there could be another mutual fund that wants income, mm -hmm. and they're going to invest in um, you know, Procter & Gamble and Exxon and companies that pay big dividends. So Which, they each have yeah. an objective. Right. So you need to look at the objective of the mutual fund right. for what you want. And I didn't even think, we didn't even write this down, um, Is it <clears throat> what's a dividend? So there's different, so stocks can function differently in that um, there's what we call blue chip stocks. And those are pretty safe, big companies that pay dividends, right? So that means that if you invest in AT&T, that let's just say it's $30, I don't know how much it is. You're actually going to get small payouts, dividends that the company is actually giving to you. Is it monthly? Is it like how often is it? Every quarter? Typically they pay quarterly. Quarterly. Yes. So they're basically saying, thank you for investing into our company. We're we're going to actually pay you to own this stock. So you don't just make money off of buying it at 30 and then selling it in two years when it's 40. You know, you get the gains off that. Right. But you're actually getting small amount of money being put into your account for owning that every quarter. Correct. Right. And, and typically, it's companies that have a lot of cash. They generate a lot right. of cash on a you know quarterly basis. And some people, you know, like you said, the blue chips, they pay off a lot. Like Apple, they generate so much cash. 
they got to pay it off <laughs> right. uh, to their shareholders. Um, but high growth stocks who generate a lot of cash, they don't pay you dividends. They in- reinvest the cash in the business hmm. or buy <laughs> other companies. So you hope that by doing that, well, their stock price is going to grow because they're growing as a company. Right. Oh, I forgot to say this too. <laughs> In the beginning, just a disclaimer, this is for educational purposes. When people give financial advice, I feel like they always have disclaimers so you can't like come and sue them or something. So take this all with a grain of salt. Whatever specific stocks we say, whatever specific advice, please fact check everything. Um, And, you know, we say one stock, don't like go and just like buy, like do your own research, right? Right. We are not professional financial advisors. Those exist for reasons. This is because I see a lot of people are intimidated by all of this, and therefore they're losing money by keeping it in cash for 20 years. And so that's what we're trying to do here. So let's take the basics of I have money now. I graduated college. I have a job. I have $10,000 in savings. It's sitting in cash. What should I do with it? Right? What are the basics? Where do I go first? So the first thing you do, whether you have like a nine to five job or contract, whatever, is you need absolute minimum of six months income in cash. Hmm. And that's what we're seeing right now of the chaos of the world. Right. A lot of Americans are living paycheck by paycheck. Right, right. And so if, if you would have uh, in the 10 years where you were working at whatever job you had, you saved up that cash and you have in a bank account six months worth of income, you, you wouldn't be so stressed. You'd right. have your, if you got laid off, you, you got your six months. You got six months to look right. for another job. You got your money. Right. So six months cash stowed away. And I love that we just started the podcast and now someone is mowing their lawn. Texas is just insane. Like, why do we have to mow our lawn so much? You know, anyways. <laughs> so that, and I assume if you're with a traditional employer, um, immediately what they're going to have set up for you, or maybe you have to take the initiative and do is set up a 401k. So that is your long-term savings. And if you get lucky enough, a lot of companies will match a 401k. They'll match your contributions. So if say you're contributing to your 401k $500 a month, and that's your long-term savings, sometimes companies will say, Hey, to incentivize you saving more, we're going to match it. And so they're also going to contribute, you know, a percentage of that or maybe a full matching. Well, yeah, and they almost always do that. So, and you should always max out. Hold it here. You should always max out as much as you can. Right. The amount that you put into your 401k, regardless of what the company puts in. Typically, they'll put in 3%. Gotcha. If you're lucky... of your total annual salary? Yes, 3% of your annual salary. And they're matching. Of course, you got to put in 3% for them to put in 3%. Right, right, right. But of course, you can put in more. You should put in 6% or 10%. And there are, you know, IRS guidelines on how much you can put in. Right. Um, But you should always max that out. It reduces your your taxable income. Right. So you're making less, you're paying less taxes, and you're putting that away. It's tax-free. You can grow tax-free, you know. Yeah till you retire when you're which is huge because in the short term you're writing it off on your taxes so say uh say you contributed in a year ten thousand dollars to your 401k 
then your taxable income drops $10,000. And you're not paying tax on that $10,000 until you pull it out for retirement when you're 65 years old. And your income is probably going to be lower than anyways. Right. So right. the tax that you're going to pay for that money down the road when you're 65 is going to be even lower. Less. Yes. It's going to be less. Yes. Um, and so for probably the majority of my audience, you they don't have 401ks. They're not attached to a company. So if you're self-employed, there's something called a SEP, a self-employment pension, I think. Self, self-employed or, IRA. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so that's something, and there's different rules, of course, associated with that, but that's something that I use for my long-term savings because I can contribute up to a certain amount of money and that I can write that off my taxes. So say it's, I think the max is fit, like there's a max and then there's like a percentage. It's, it's complicated, but um, my I have a accountant which helps me with all this. If I put 20K into my SEP, that means I can write off the 20K against my income. And then I'm going to keep the money in that SEP until I'm 65. There's penalties if you take it out early, right? And so that's going to be growing in perpetuity. And we should probably get out the just general financial advisor advice before we get more into the weeds. And that like... What's what's that general advice? The market gradually dips and grows three different times in your lifetime, but the general trend is it always goes up. So if you be diligent with just contributing every month, a little bit of money every month, you don't think about it. You're averaging out over the years and gradually your money is just going to go up. Right, right. So it's, it's called dollar cost averaging. So if you're putting in you know, X amount of money, money that you can afford to put in. It's not, you don't want to stress yourself out. Right. You're, you're putting in every month, so you're buying more shares when the market's down and buying less when the market is high. So you, it's called dollar cost averaging, and therefore your your overall price of X mutual fund or X stock is way lower um, right. in the long run. Right. So... But see, notice that it's not you trying to time the market because no one can time the market. I mean, my dad recently did very well, actually, and we'll talk about that. But no one has a magic eight ball. And so if you notice, he didn't say you contribute money during this time and don't contribute money during other time. The only thing that changes and when is when things are noticeably down, you put in more, right? So if you have if you contribute $50 to your long-term savings and $50 to your short-term savings where maybe you're moving things around more and like having fun that means that oh during noticeably downtimes like now maybe you up that to $100 a month you just contribute more when times are down and then it's gonna you're gonna be fine over time if you start young too right that's why i'm like everyone well, yeah and that's the magic of dollar cost averaging if you start when you're 20 nothing yeah. years old you can build up a huge amount of money by the time you're 50 yeah so that's why it's so important everyone listening who's from 15 years old to 30 years old you have the advantage of starting young 
And it doesn't matter if you don't have a ton of money. I love the story that your parents always say, how they literally started contributing $25 a month or something. You don't know? <laughs> she talks. <laughs> they do? Yeah. I, just because grandma has always been super on, you know, her mutual funds. And she always gets a magazine called Morningstar, which like rates different mutual funds. Um, but they they weren't you know they were pretty poor when they started out oh yeah you know i mean they're pretty much self-made put my mother put herself through nursing school and became a nurse and my dad put himself um through medical school and became a doctor right and they just saved their nest eggs over time they don't they barely spend any money (laughs) um and now you know they're in their 80s and they're just chilling. They got a huge nest egg. Um, so starting young is such a huge part of that. Okay, so let's start to break down the other terms. So we have the general advice out of the way. Just put in, start small. If you don't have a lot, put in every month. Kind of track some things, sure. Notice trends when things are down. Maybe you put down more. And this is the long game. This is about the long game, right? So let's talk about the specific different terminology. Because I'm telling you, if you guys are lost right now, I was right there with you. I had to combine Google and my parents as a resource. And that's why we're sharing one of the parents with you now. Being like, okay, listen, what what are the different stock exchanges? I do not understand people throughout these terms like the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. Are those the same things? No, they're not the same thing. So we're going to start off. What are the different stock exchanges where these were all of the different types of um, financial vehicles are sold? So a lot of times these are physical locations where things are are sold. Maybe they're a group of computers. But what are a few of the different exchanges? And then we'll talk about the different things that you can exchange on these exchanges. Right. Okay, just one real real quick. A book, Millionaire Next Door, back to the previous point. Okay. It's a book that talks about not being extravagant. Millionaire Next Door? The Millionaire Next Door. Okay, we'll put it in the description. It's... Very much like people like Warren Buffett. He he drives around in his same 20, 30-year-old truck that he had, you know, 30 years ago, and he's a billionaire, right? right? So don't spend extravagantly. Spend within your means. Right. And it's a good book. It talks about that. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. So different stock exchanges there. Well, that's a good point, honestly, in the times of flexing on Instagram. You know, people love to show, hey, I rented that Lamborghini and I look sick. They want that short-term look when long-term, when they're 40, 50. They ain't got nothing. They ain't got nothing. Yeah. Okay, so the different exchanges. So there are many different exchanges, right? There's a New York Stock Exchange. There's the NASDAQ. NASDAQ, you know, came about, I don't know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Uh, it was supposed to be the, or is, the, the high-tech exchange, the fast-growing Teslas, Microsoft. So a lot um, of times these exchanges are specific to the type of industries. They can be, they yes. They can yes, be. Yes, yes. Okay. And there's the Russell 2000, which is every stock on the planet, basically. Um, so there, I, I don't know. There's there's five, six, seven stock exchanges, I believe. And then, there, of In course, the there, US. There, there are the futures exchanges, too, which right. is a whole nother thing. Right. Um, and the commodity exchanges and then the 
You said the uh, Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Right, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, Mercantile Exchange, and then there's the currency exchanges, forex, right. which trades currencies. Which is a lot. Which is a We're whole not other even. Thing. We're not even going to get into that right, right now. But that's what's so intriguing about this guy over here is I feel like every time I talk to him about stuff, he has this new software on his computer that's like, oh, I'm like tracking currencies and all this stuff. Um, so it's a, it, you would say it's an actual passion of yours, right? Yes, maybe an obsession. <laughs> an addiction. <laughs> an addiction. An addiction. <laughs> um, but, well, yeah, and we can, let's kind of uh, bring it back to your life. You literally went to... University of Texas for petroleum engineering. Yes. <laughs> I just snorted. <laughs> so you went to school for, for all, and then you got a job. Was Fidelity your first job? Yes, Fidelity. Okay. Fidelity Investments. And so did you think that was just like, oh, this will just be a job until I figure out what I actually want to do? No, no, because back in college when I was an oil engineer, uh, I, I had a friend, an older friend who was in the markets and at some point it occurred to me he, he was telling me about how, how you buy stocks sell stocks and all that stuff and I say well you just buy it here and then you sell it higher and you make money that's interesting yeah seems easy <laughs> it seems easy it <laughs> seems easy and then I, I came across a at the time Texaco was being sued I believe by somebody um, I can't remember the exact details, but he told me he was into politics, Texas politics and all that stuff. And he said there was a judgment against them, and he said that Texas judges will never overturn that judgment. Hmm. And so— Are you saying that you traded on inside information? No, that's not inside information. <laughs> he wasn't an insider or anything, but he okay, knew. Yeah. He knew but Texas— But he did his research, and he understood. Well, he knows. The... He was into all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I bought calls on Texaco at the time. Which means what? When I was in college, which calls mean you expect it, the price of the stock to go up. Right. And it did. So I made, I don't know, two, $3,000 at the time when nice. I was in college. And so I was going, that's when the drug oh. started. Yes, that's, that's, that's when it started. <laughs> <laughs> that's when the tap. <laughs> Interesting. So that was just like, oh, how do I explore this more? Right. And you got a job at Fidelity. Well, I mean, I read a lot of books and in college. I mean, when I was in college, I was reading books about it and reading books on stocks and options and that right. kind of stuff. And then when I graduated, oil dropped from like $30 a barrel at the time in 85, 86 to $10 a barrel. Hmm. And so I couldn't get a job in, in the oil business. <laughs> Which is funny since what's happening right now. Exactly. Yeah. So. Interesting. So what so I did to is I took my knowledge of the markets <laughs> right. and went and got a job at Fidelity. Which is so sick because, guys, the amount of knowledge that we have because of the Internet now is just so much more on tap. You don't have to go to the library. You don't have to scour books. You can, you can if as long as you understand what the terms are to start with, that's why I want to do this podcast. Once you have those terms, you can then Google. You can watch all of these different finance YouTubers to expand your knowledge and who knows where it will lead you. So Fidelity, what were you doing? It was just like, is what? Uh, at first, I and first, Hold on. Let me... Let's explain what these companies are, like Fidelity, Edward Jones, Vanguard, TD, Ameritrade. So 
So Fidelity is one of the original foremost mutual fund companies. They, I think they they were probably one of the ones that started the mutual fund okay. industry as well as Vanguard. Vanguard's the same kind of thing. Um, TD Ameritrade's like a discount stockbrokers. That's how they started. They okay. do stocks and they also do futures. But then as the mutual fund companies grew through the 80s and 90s, they, op- they started what's called discount brokerage. So prior to that, have trading stocks stocks would cost you like two hundred dollar commission with someone like a Merrill Lynch. You know, they give so you it advice and say buy this. It wasn't that accessible and to the general public. Exactly, it was not accessible to the general public. And then the Fidelities and the Charles Schwabs and those kind of companies came along and they made it accessible to just the general people. Right. And the commission was you know twenty dollars per trade. Interesting. And right now you've everyone's seen with the Robin Hoods right. and. Uh, all that have caused the Fidelities and Schwabs and everything to cut their commission to zero. So right. now you can trade stocks at, for nothing. And so how are these – so these companies are essentially the middleman, right, to get into the stock market. And then we'll talk about mutual funds in a minute. Um, but if these apps like Robinhood and now there's an app called Public um, that I actually started on – uh, just for like funzy money. Um, my bigger chunk of money is in other different places we can talk about later. But this is an interesting app because it has a social component to it. So when I buy $100 of AT&T, it goes on the social feed. Um, and it's a really clean app like Robinhood. But uh, what we've seen is there's, a, there's some stability issues because Robinhood shut down like three different times during all of these crashes of the market that happened recently. And I'm selfishly going to put my link to the public app in the show notes below if you guys want to sign up because if you sign up with my link this isn't sponsored i'm not an investor or anything um but i selfishly get like five dollars of stock if you sign up with my link and then you guys get a free bit of stock if you sign up uh, with my link um so i'm putting that in the show notes below if they want to get started it's a really clean interface and it's a good start anyways um Okay, so during this time when you got a job at Fidelity, it it was people being mutual fund managers. It was people handling like calls, like people right. would call you and well, say, but, "Hey, I yeah. want to buy the stock." Well, basically, what I did at the beginning was um, I would take orders for mutual funds. So they would call in and they want to say, "I want to buy whatever number of shares of Fidelity Magellan," which is one of the was one of the largest funds on the on the planet and and i would place that order i would service the account they would ask about hey i did this or that and they would also call back then they would call in for quotes which is odd right now because everyone can get quotes on the internet oh so you didn't know what these things were priced right right and we'd have these sheets of paper interesting we'd have these sheets of paper we would read the quotes off for the closing quote for the previous day Wow. So a lot of it was just being on the phone and relaying information because people didn't have their Apple Stocks app where you can track in real time what mutual funds are trading at, what Apple Stock is trading at. That just didn't exist. Right. Didn't exist. Wow. Right. And then it grew. You know, I became a broker where I traded stocks. People call in to buy, sell stocks, whatever, and I would do that. And... Was it as high pressure as the movies show it? 
Where you're like, ah, get me up, blah, 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 blah. You were like going two phones at a time. (laughs) No, not quite like that. (laughs) Because we weren't weren't given it. We were a discount broker, so we don't give advice. So you would call and say, sell IBM or whatever. And I had no skin in the game. Right. Gotcha. I would just do it mechanically on the computer to right. sell it. So you didn't have those commissions. You just had a salary. Right. I just had a salary. And then eventually the crash 87 hit. And then that high pressure thing you're talking about where we had 100, 200 calls on hold. And we were just taking calls one after the other. Sell everything, sell everything, sell wow. everything, sell everything. And we couldn't. It's a recorded line and all that stuff. So we would... The customer has to say, sell 100 shares of Johnson Johnson. You can't say, sell everything, because we have to have your, uh, your, you saying, telling us what to sell. And they would, they would get So sometimes they, would they wouldn't pissed. know what they have. Yeah, and then you'd have to say, okay, you got this, this, and this. Okay, sell that. Okay, sell that. Because I don't, you guys don't know. The, in the crash 87, it dropped 25% in a single day. Wow, which in context of what has happened recently. It was up to 30%. Recently, it... It was 30-some-odd percent. It crashed 30%? Yes, but it's come back quite a lot, Right, which it's is come back, bizarre. which we'll talk about later. Very but bizarre. So, so in context, when the Dow Jones went from, in a span of a couple weeks, the Dow Jones literally went from 29,000 to 18,000, which was insane. Now it's back up to 24 or something. Right. But so the same level of craziness that we've had recently, that's what was happening at 87. Yes. What yes. what motivated that? It wasn't a virus. <laughs> what what was happening in the world? It was a financial crisis. I actually can't remember exactly what it was. Um, Let's see. You're going to have to look that up. 1987. It was some kind of banking crisis, I believe. It's always the banks. Okay. Oh, well, that's when Black Monday happened. Yeah, that was Black Monday. That was a hell of a day. Um, okay, Black Monday on October 19, 1987 is the name commonly attached to a sudden, severe, and largely unexpected stock market tra- uh, crash that struck the global financial market system in the United States. The Dow Jones fell exactly 508 points, 22.6%, accompanied by crashes in the futures and options market. This was one of the largest one-day percentage drops in history. Okay, but Why? Why? The severity of the crash sparked fears of extended economic instability or even a reprise of the Great Depression, which people are talking about right now. Which, which, which is kind of funny because there funny? was – well, yeah, because there was no impact. That was a largely financial crisis. It got solved and the market continued to all-time highs a couple months later. However, right now – it is a huge economic impact. Because it's there impacting are 30, people, real 30 people. million people unemployed. Right. The April unemployment now is 15%. Just came out and the market rallied on that 15% unemployment, <laughs> right. which is <laughs> I've snorted insane, twice now. Right. Which is wrong. Right. What is that? The right. The it's insanity. Is it the it's the government. It's government it's the Fed intervention printing, and printing then money. printing money and buying the markets. Yes. It's wrong and crazy. Yeah. They're totally destroying the currency. Buy right? Bitcoin. Right now. Everyone buy Bitcoin. 
We do have some Bitcoin. We do and have by the way, Bitcoin. the halving's coming the in halving four days. The halving is coming. That's how they tax the public about taxing the public by destroying the currency, so it doesn't mean it. Well, they're destroying the people. The well, people are going to rise up with pitchforks here soon. <laughs> yes. Okay, so before we get too dark, <laughs> we're going to break for a little sponsorship break. We're going to talk. We're going to we're going to make a, things a little bit lighter and maybe talk about a piece of tech that just came out. I don't know. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. Thank you, B&H Photo, for sponsoring this podcast. They are amazing supporters of not just only the New York City creator community, um, but the creator community as a whole. I got a lot of love for them. And so, uh, yeah, this little tech section brought to you by B&H. You, you're staying up to date with all the latest tech by listening to that creative life. That's something that, that you can be sure of. But the new 13-inch MacBook Pro, the biggest physical difference is there's no more butterfly keys. Can we just get a hallelujah? No more butterfly keyboards. They were just awful. They had issues and they were just terrible to type on. So that's the only physical thing about, uh, it's actually like one millimeter thicker too, but then you go inside and you have some really great uh, processor bumps as well as the storage increasing. So now the base model starts at 256 gigabytes. We know Apple always um, always kind of starts with low storage and then makes you pay for a lot of storage. So that's really great. And now for the, if you want to spec out your MacBook and uh, just, I don't think people know this, but you can fully spec out all Apple products at bnhphoto.com. So BNH has all the SKUs for all of these devices, whether it's iPad Pros, MacBook Pros, you know, you can choose in between the silver gray, you can choose in between what CPUs you have. And so what we're getting is a big up upgrade from the dual core to the quad core processors. I think those are going to be good, especially for that 13 inch size. We, I was so impressed by the 16 inch MacBook Pro recently because they in, improved the cooling and you can have that i9 and you actually have an i9 that works properly. Um, so I have been very pleasantly surprised by the MacBook Pro 16s. Hopefully that continues with the 13 inch MacBook Pros. So you can choose between that two gigahertz 10th gen i5 and the 2.3 gigahertz 10th gen i7 quad core, quad core. And then you can get up to 16 gigabytes of RAM for the i5 model. And then the i7 goes up to 32 gigabytes of RAM. So you know, this is this does seem like a small update. I think we were all hoping for that 14 inch. We wanted them to shrink the bezels and increase the inch edge. That sounds weird. That doesn't seem like a right word. Oh, oh, and this is the joys of podcasting in my Texas home and my parents' home. Uh, my my mom just yelled, "Guacamole's ready!" Man, we gotta wrap up the sponsorship then. If the guac is ready, y'all, I got to go get some guac. <laughs> Anyways, it's an exciting update just because you're getting the latest processors, you're getting the latest insides. But I think what's very interesting about Apple right now is they're the ones who are doing these incremental updates. There's not things that are revolutionary with the MacBook Pro. I think the MacBook Pro is great because it can just be your workhorse. It can be your workstation. It can be reliable now. Thank goodness because no butterfly keys and you're not worrying about you know, quirky things breaking down because, oh, they tried something new. On the flip side, I will say, because it's not super exciting, I still look at these machines and say, oh, I wish there's a touchscreen. Oh, I wish I had a pen that I could, I wish my MacBook Pro was an iPad, you know, because a lot of times over in Windows land, you kind of can have it all sometimes. That's just me complaining 
that's a whole nother thing. I don't want to uh, distract too much from the contents of this podcast because I know the Apple MacBook and tech is a little bit different than the the, fin- the finance stuff we're talking about in this podcast. But I would just uh, like to say I'm not going to, I'm probably not going to make a full video on this. So I wanted to at least mention it. It's just not super exciting for me to review right now. But if this is something that you guys want to see, maybe 13 inch with a 16 inch MacBook Pro, maybe head to head, let me know. Without further ado, again, thank you B&H for sponsoring this podcast. You can check out the 13 inch MacBook Pro and the 16 inch MacBook Pro links in the description below. Again, you can customize them, whatever processors you want, whatever color, how much RAM, all on B&H. You can get it in a really speedy amount of time back to the podcast bringing things back let's wrap up um your journey with fidelity and then we'll get into the specifics of just purely like going through some terms and defining it for people so did that moment of chaos is that what told you i need to get away from this (laughs) this world or because you're you haven't worked in finance for over 30 years not not exactly so i got laid off from fidelity after the 87 crash maybe six months later but while at fidelity i was playing around with computers Mm, so sort of the continuing theme actually of this is to have be interested in other stuff all the time right right that's how you evolve that's how you evolve so i was petroleum engineering but I was interested in finance. I got into, you know, stock market. Uh, but I was interested in computers, and I was playing around with computers. Um, the crash happened, got laid off. Uh, Microsoft came to our area, um, and that's when I interviewed with Microsoft and got a job with Microsoft. Hmm. So, what were what computers were you messing it was around a with? PC, and I was messing around with Lotus One Two Three. Lotus one two three. I don't even. Well, I in do, fact, they're not know. in. I don't think they're around anymore. I only recognize that because of all of the random computer documentaries I watch. There's a good one on um, Netflix about Compact right. and mm-hmm. how they went head to head with IBM. Right. And I think they right. mentioned Lotus or something. Right. There. It was Lotus one two three and actually DBase, which is a database program, which doesn't exist anymore. So you were basically doing your Fidelity thing. But also, oh, look, we have computers here, so I'm going to mess around with this. Right, right. What would you specifically do? Mess around with databases? Make your own? Because like, it's not yeah. like there's the internet. What do, how do you play around <clears throat> on a computer in, 19, in the 1980s? Well, the, <laughs> the only person who had actually a PC, as a uh, broker, we had uh, just terminals to what's called an AS400. It was the IBM mainframe. But the secretary had a PC, and I actually worked a late shift, and so I, I sort of kind of hacked into her computer <laughs> and played around with Lotus, just messing around, putting numbers in, seeing how it worked. Hmm. Be Stay curious. Stay curious, that's, exactly. That's the story of my life. It's a good, it's a good uh, motto to live by. That's interesting. And then you dedicated 20 years of your life to Microsoft. Right. And then... Now you're doing other things. Now, now I'm in cybersecurity. So yeah. So whenever someone, whenever another device logs into his Wi-Fi, he he makes sure that we know that he sees us. (laughs) Oh look, another device is logged in. 
I have the software to monitor everyone. Yes. You, you have to continually evolve. That's <laughs> continually basically evolve. the there point. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So let's go through some basics for people. Because we went over, so there's, you know, these physical stock exchanges where these things are traded, right? So right. the Apple, Apple stock is Nasdaq. sold on a different exchange than Exxon. Right. Which is on the New York Stock Exchange. Right. And then there's the middle ground where it's either Fidelity, Edward Jones, Vanguard, TD Ameritrade. These are kind of the middle ground in between you logging into your account. You can personally buy stocks or you can reach out to one of their financial advisors who handles it on their own. But you have to be careful because there's two ways that financial advisors get paid. It's either they take a general 1% or they get paid on every single transaction so that's something that you kind of have to keep an eye on. If they're just pulling stocks in and out, doing all the things, they're getting paid every single time that they do that. So you got to make sure incentives are aligned and that your person isn't just pulling stuff out, you know, every day. Right, that could right. Because be they, they can just churn your account whether you win or lose and make money. Right. So. And you don't. Exactly. So you have to stay on top of that. Stay educated educated um and then in that same group of things like what father said these apps the tech companies are trying to eat up the financial sector of robin hood now public these these clean interface apps that are getting new young people encouraged to invest in the stock market which is great but you can now do this for free and that's all of a sudden causing problems for the traditional people because oh well how do we make money Right. And I actually I don't have any idea how they're making money now, but I would go. They have a ton of venture capital. They don't have to worry about that. Well, I'm not sure if they all do, but yeah. um, but on the Robinhood and other apps like you're talking about, those those can be dangerous. Robinhood was pretty right. much locked up during yeah. this huge uh, crisis. And then they had a big security breach. Right. So, right. yeah, I'm not saying that the big boys don't have that, but. They weathered this storm a little you, bit better than those exactly. guys. So you, you got to be careful. Consider the credibility and the longevity. <clears throat> but then again, look at all of the huge financial institutions that bellied up in 2008 that everyone said, oh, there's no way they're going to go under. Too big to fail. Right. 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 So, so really, you just got to keep an eye on everything. Okay. Stock, mutual fund index fund, ETF, options. All words that are thrown around in movies and shows that I think sometimes people don't fully understand. So we have a stock that is a company that IPO'd, initial public offering. They decided on an exchange that they want to be traded on. There's an initial price that they are doing their launch, their IPO. So say Apple, okay, they're big boys. They have products and they need funding from the general public for their company. So they're going to do initial public offering and say, say, hey, our stock, you can buy it for $20. The public is going to buy it if they think that is worth buying. And then that money goes to Apple so they can continue inventing. And then those people are either going to make money on dividends or they're, they're going to, because they have faith in that company, they're going to sell the stock in five years and make money because other people buy stocks and make them the, the price rise. Stocks. Individual 
indicators of one company. Right. Mm-hmm. And and the the main thing that's going to make that stock going up is increasing earnings. That's what you're buying. Right. You want their earnings to go from ten cents a share to fifteen cents a share to twenty cents a share, and that's what's going to make the stock go up. Right. Right. If you look at all of um, the flops in the past, if you look at the bubble in 2000, 2001, I think the thing... Uh, that was the dot-com bubble. Yeah, the dot-com bubble. I think the thing you can equate that time to is probably the crazy amount of ICOs we're having right now, initial coin offerings of all this cryptocurrency where the majority of these people, they're just trying to inflate the price walk away with a ton of money and they don't have an actual product or they don't have an actual crypto coin that's actually going to do anything and so in the dot-com bubble people really didn't understand internet companies but there was so much hype around it oh my gosh you got to get yourself some internet stock you got to right and and with those yeah it's the same today it doesn't you don't know it till it happens really it was going up going up years it was a couple years. It was going up. Always goes up. And Amazon was, was one of them. It always goes up. It didn't have any earnings. Didn't have any earnings. Didn't have any earnings. And then, I don't know, five years ago, maybe. Maybe it was four. I don't know. From literally eight, didn't have any earnings for Literally had no earnings. It was a bookstore. It sold goods. It was always negative earnings. But they had growth. They had increasing revenue, but no profit. But it was pumped. Pump, pump, and then one day, with AWS, they actually had earnings. They were teeny tiny that that year, and then they grew and grew and grew, and now they're the massive company that they are today. Who are probably going to take over the world? But you, you just which you is don't, which don't is know. a really good example of that sentence, uh, the quote that says software is going to eat the world, and that. I think what people find is it is it is so hard to make money off of physical products. So that's how SaaS, software as a service, has exploded over the recent decade because it's just like it's a a pricing model where you can actually just make money. Right. <laughs> when when you have to deal with physical products and inventory and shipping it to people, it's a pretty messy business to be in. Right. Low margins. Okay, so that's a stock. It's a stock. And then we have, we're going to lump these three together because they all sound kind of the same, but they're different. So there's the mutual fund, there's an index fund, and there's an ETF. So let's start with mutual fund since we talked about that with Fidelity. What is a mutual fund? So mutual fund is a collection of stocks that a company like Fidelity puts together or Vanguard and they actively manage it. So they say this mutual fund is for aggressive growth, for example. So and there's more ha- risk involved if it's... Well, no, it's not. They have different mutual funds. So this one's for aggressive growth. This right. one's for growth. This one's for uh, staying even or whatever. But so, I'm just saying something that's aggressive growth compared right. to staying even, There, there's more volatility in Right, it. and they have different categories of them. So the aggressive growth one, they are buying the... Amazons, they're buying the Teslas, they're buying, um, I don't know, I yeah. can't think of another company. <laughs> but, but, but that's, those yeah. are the, it's, it's tell, they're telling you those are the kinds of stocks they're buying. Right. 
And so they'll say, and they'll tell you, we have 10% of this, we have 5% of this, 2% of this, et cetera, and tell you the, the companies they're buying. Um, and with, with a mutual fund, you, if you have to buy and sell, you, you, it trades at the end of the day. It's not something you can trade in and out of during the day. Like stocks. Like stocks. And I didn't even know this, but guys, the stock market actually opens up at a certain time and closes. Because I literally started trading Bitcoin before I started trading stocks. So I was used to just going on, hey, I'll buy some Bitcoin at any time of the day. But no, it what is open at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time and closes at 4.30? 4.30, yes. Okay. Yes. Or so, 8.30 yeah. to 3.30 yeah. uh, Central. So that's what's been so crazy over these these crazy times recently is it closes and then news happens from 4 p.m. to 6 a.m. And then people are trading futures depending on that news. And you can wake up and just the whole thing can crater on those 12 hours that just happened. And it's just chaos. Right. Anyways, so, okay, so mutual funds, they're, they actually have a human that is in charge of it that says, hey, Amazon, it doesn't fit this aggressive growth model anymore, so we're going to take it out and replace it with this company. So it's something that's actively managed. Um, mutual funds are way less um, risky than single stocks because, you know, you're because spreading... Because it's diversified. It's diversified. It's spread, it's spread you're out. buying... You're buying multiple companies right. a single company within a mutual fund goes bankrupt you're not screwed you're you're not yeah exactly you're not totally but if you have all your chips in one basket in apple stock and if apple will get you're screwed right? right but they're not ever gonna but yeah. you know who knows okay so that's mutual fund if you if, if you bought hertz which just is going bankrupt or right macy's instead of a mutual fund that is in car rentals yeah right or retail or retail right, right. um but typically, mutual funds are more, um, can be more across the board based on like what you said, aggressive growth, where you can have an Amazon and also like, uh, like a Lowe's or something in the same thing, where index funds are more traditionally based on industry, right? Well, I, or just not, the organizing of the company. It's based on an index. So, so mutual funds are based on an index. No, no, no. What? An index fund is based on an index. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So an index is S&P 500 index. Right. It's the 500 biggest uh, companies in the U.S. Right. That's how it's... But a lot of different indexes are based on industry where I own a tech index. I own yes, a healthcare yes, index yes. to where typically it's 10... Because yes. mutual funds can be like a ton of companies. But mutual funds could cross industries. Right. No, yes. 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 But indexes, or I guess typically what I'm most aware of is, is typically like 10 tech companies and it's AMD, Intel, all in one index. And then there can be like a healthcare index. Right. Whereas, right. you know, 10 different pharmaceutical companies. There can companies. be a tech index, a healthcare index, a, a in, industrial complex index, right. anything. So the, com the commonality between the two is that it's several stocks into one grouping right but the difference of them is an index fund isn't actively managed right by a that. human yes yes and it's something it just matches the index so right. if the something changes in the index they automatically change that so a stock is added to this index they just do it 
They're not analyzing. Right, right. They're not saying, is it going to have growth over this next year? Should I buy it? Nothing. Right. It's they match the index. Who decides what are in those indexes? The... Like oh, the, that's a good question. So, <laughs> like the exchanges? So, yeah. So, like with the S&P 500 index, the S&P decides. Right. They decide, okay, this company is horrible. I want to take it out. Gotcha. And I want to add this. So, there's because, a certain, like, board of directors yeah, for the S&P? Something, okay. Yeah, something like that. Um, but they want it to grow, right? They want to see it go up 20% a year or whatever. So, they're looking to replace bad stuff companies with good companies right but it has that same same feature of a mutual fund and that you are spreading out your risk because if you buy one share of this index it's 10 different companies you know right hundreds of different companies but yeah maybe amd versus intel and then apple versus microsoft but guess what if they're all in the same index and they're all gradually going up or one fails it's all going to even out right you're going to go up right in Generally, you're going to keep going up over whatever. And that's why there was that huge article written by Warren Buffett about how he was talking about how pointless hedge funds are because there was like a study done. I don't know if he wrote this article or whatever, but there was a study done where, oh, no. Okay, I'm sorry, guys, that I'm he literally bet money that these certain hedge fund is head fund. Oh my gosh, hedge 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 funds. funds. Sorry guys, my words get whatever sometimes. That they could not outperform a certain index. Mm -hmm. Because if you look, when indexes were invented probably like 30 years ago, 20 years ago, they're a somewhat new thing. A general S&P index has outperformed a ton of hedge funds. And mutual mutual funds. funds. Mutual funds, yeah. So there lies the question of, and I've talked to, you know, some friends in New York who have experience in hedge funds. Why can't I say that word? Hedge funds. Man, I watch billions all the time. I should know how to say that word. Saying how hedge funds don't last a very long time. It's literally like a lot of times now, like a five-year adventure (laughs) for just a crazy person who wants to make money and maybe has, you know, some edge on a certain sector. You basically make your money and leave because it is so hard to stay consistent and consistently outperform just a safe index over the span of 20 years. Right. right. I mean, they, and they also take big risks. Right. And they get wiped out. Exactly. Yeah. I should have said that because if you're, well, that's the point of a hedge fund is you take those big risks because you do want to outperform the dinky-winky financial advisors that just say, hey, just keep your money and blah, 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 because they are right. Over time, your money is going to make money and go up over 30 years. So if you just keep your money in the market, you're going to win. But hedge fund managers want to do crazy amounts of money. They don't want steady growth. No. They They want to be Bobby Axelrod and billions. That's right. They want big money. They want big money. Okay. And then we get into an ETF. So what's so interesting about all this is technically a mutual fund is an index and an index is an ETF. Right? Kind um, of? Not, not quite. So a mu- mutual fund, don't mix up index with, with mutual funds or ETFs. Index is an index. 
The S&P 500 is an index. The Dow Jones is an index. It's just it doesn't trade. It's a, a 30 indicator. stocks. Uh, it's 30 stocks that people watch for whatever reason it says this goes up. They watch the the Nasdaq to think tech stocks go up and go right. they so S&P they know. S&P 500 is industrial so, or is that Dow Jones? The Dow Jones is the industrial some more industrial companies. So they, but, they see that and they say, oh, it's up or down. That means those companies within that composite right, right. are Right, and going. then we have created funds so you can buy the Dow Jones, which mm-hmm. is an ETF, an exchange-traded fund. Right. So you can trade that live in the market. And if you want to buy tech stocks, you buy a tech ETF. If you think... Which could be uh, based on the NASDAQ. Yeah, it could be based on the NASDAQ or an even uh, smaller number of tech-type stocks. It depends. There are tons of them. You can buy you know, healthcare, financial. If you think this year financial stocks are going up, you can find a financial ETF, exchange-traded fund, and buy it in Good luck. Right. Um, mutual funds are mutual funds are very similar to ETFs, but they trade at the end of the day. You you close it out at the end of the day, and mutual funds are are managed, uh, are actively managed. Right. Where an ETF is typically trading, it's matching an index, you know, a tech index. So they're just buying whatever stocks are in that index. Period. Right. And I think where people get confused with indexes is that you can buy certain indexes. Like, or they are, are the, or are the indexes that you can buy are those technically ETFs? Because when I go to my Fidelity account, they have listed the different types of indexes that I can click on. I see the companies in them and then I can buy them. Right, right. I mean, don't, an index is an index. It's not a tradable thing. Okay. Okay. So basically, the index that I bought—they're technically ETFs. Right. Based, you bought an ETF based, based on a tech index. Yes. Okay. Yes. That makes more sense. Yes. Um, okay. So S and P five hundred, Dow Jones, the Nasdaq Composite—those things that you have on your Apple stocks apps—that you can't buy that index. It just says that hey. It has these different companies in it, so you can. It's an easy way to see if those overall are up or down. And then, if you want to actually get like buy that index, you find the ETF that correlates with that. And it's not necessarily called Dow Jones. You just have to figure out what that ETF is called. Yeah. yeah. And then you can you can either buy the version of the ETF that says the Dow Jones is going up, or you can buy the version that says it's going down. Right. That's what's kind of cool about these ETFs. You can get a bullish one or a bearish one. Right. Bullish meaning going up, bearish meaning going down. Right. So if you think the market's going up, you would buy the bullish one on the Dow or on the NASDAQ. If you think it's going down, you can buy a bearish one, and it will go up when that index goes down. Right. Which is a more black and white way to essentially do options shorting, which we're not really going to get into this podcast. But if you if you're starting to understand this and if you don't, guys, if all this is gibberish, it's okay. Listen to it again and then Google what we're saying, because I didn't start 
understanding things until I started just listening to things that I didn't understand. And then I started to understand them. <laughs> like, I know that sounds crazy, but I started watching documentaries and movies and Googling. And the more you watch, the more it just seeps in and then you can actually take action on it and like, you know, get a, get some, uh, get your slice of whatever. And then actually another thing, which is good fun. If you want to get aggressive, you can buy ETFs that are two times say the nasdaq or three times the nasdaq so if the nasdaq goes up one percent the three times etf will go up three percent and vice versa but then if it goes down you're screwed and vice versa you (laughs) will go down three percent right so they are there are other aggressive highly leveraged etfs that you probably shouldn't look at yeah well and this is i think something that I'm starting to understand and get frustrated by is once you understand this basics, that's good. That means you understand um, more than most and hopefully you just put stuff in, you watch it grow over time, you don't be crazy about it. Um, But if you're actually passionate about it and you research it more, you start to learn that the stock market, a lot of times is almost like you're gambling. Once you start getting into derivatives and you start to get into all these different things where it's just like tracking trackers of the stock market that's tracking something else and it gets so it gets so weird and crazy that if you go too deep, you almost just lose all of your faith in the system because <laughs> yes, you, things... you think it's going to blow up at any point. <laughs> yes, and those do, things do get taken off the market and I've seen it happened just recently with the oil uh, ETF uh, three times. Hmm. Um, so it just got closed. Just, it just you, closed. You can't buy it anymore. You can't buy it. So if, and you, own, and so if you own it. if you own it, you're not getting it back. Well, you can get out at that current price, but you're out. Interesting. And so. Interesting. Th- those aren't long term. Those are things you do for a week. You right. don't do those for your life. Right. Um, okay. So I think that's a good basics uh, basics course. And then in the last few minutes, I would like to get into what's been happening in the past few months. We're almost done, but this is where we can get we can get in the weeds, man. Stop! He's mouthing he's mouthing things. You're doing great, Father. Just hang in there with me. Hang in there with me, um, because recently it's been fun to watch all of this with now knowledge and texting you every day, and you saw. COVID-19 from the get-go you were seeing it you know in January being oh this isn't good this is not good they're boarding up people in their houses in China there was there was videos and photos of the craziness that was happening in China due to COVID-19 but over in the U.S. we're fine it's not going to come over here it's all good but you literally pulled out (laughs) and again everything that we talk about now is not um, is not advice. We're just going to talk about experience because the good advice is to keep putting money in month over month. You're going to do great overall. But this is where my father's passionate about this. You, This is fun for you, right? You mm-hmm. you made a lot of money recently, but you've also lost a ton of money in your life. Yes. So honestly, it probably evened out, right? It's probably yeah. evened out overall. But you saw this happening. You took out literally all of your money in January. Or right. before, right, right. So I, I, I can't, I can't actually recall what first connected me to these various websites. But I started reading zerohedge.com, yeah. and they kept 
they they had these articles about what's going on in China and what's going on in China. Which for some reference, guys, Zero Hedge is a very interesting website. They have a lot of good financial stuff, but sometimes their political things are a little they aggregate crazy. they that's not they aggregate news stories is what they do. They don't okay, necessarily so they don't publish have it? The, they don't some they crazy. do they do some they do some writing, but they also aggregate it's one of these news sites that aggregates tons of information from other places. Gotcha. So so they'll they'll quote Bloomberg, they'll quote Reuter, gotcha. Reuters, they'll quote blah blah blah. Um, they'll, they'll Twitter, you know, they'll right. they'll put and they'll put the source there. So and so says this, and so that's what they were doing. Right. They were they were showing these I Twitter remember, stores right. in China, right? Because even and we'll even back up even more. Even before COVID in November, you right. were saying, "Oh my gosh, the house of cards is going to fall because all of this crazy derivative trading right. because of Deutsche Bank right. and all of the crazy layoffs and just the insanity of basically people trading right. things that, that aren't repo. real." Yeah, the it, repo market. It's the repo, repo apocalypse. The repo yes. that happens actually starting, oddly enough, September 11th, and then okay. continued through October where the, the government is funding the banks, where the banks should be funding each other through these right. repo markets. That's and, a whole nother And that started, I feel like I can explain more in a simple way, because there were certain regulations that started in 2008 that were put in place to say, hey, we do not want this to happen again. So there are now rules that banks have to have a certain amount of cash in them every single night before they close up shop. But to get around that, basically, in order for banks to not have to have Oh no, like I, I was a little bit too aggressive. I don't have that 100K requirement when I closed up shop. They'll, they'll borrow that money from bigger banks overnight to meet those requirements. And so there's this, yeah, so there's a crazy repo market going on in between the banks of them basically being able to, um, like, have their tabs be all right with the government right when they stopped doing that that's when the government had to step in right and exactly and so jpmc stopped doing it right and they were huge in that market and it became a huge problem and then instead of the banks for overnight lending paying point nothing percent for the the loan if you will right went to 10 percent for an overnight loan and they they freaked out and right. the government had to get in and, and so, function as. Which is so backwards if you think about it, because the government was the people who put those regulations in place to start with. So they come in and the government starts loaning right. money to the banks so that they can meet these requirements. And then the requirement kept increasing through the October, November, December from it was like 20 million Billion, sorry. So billion, who, twenty who billion. Can, but to, doesn't the government control that? Why did it keep increasing? No, they don't control it. The banks, uh, you know, eight, whatever. Chase Bank wanted ten billion. Um, whatever bank, name a bank, wanted X amount of money. Right. Right. So they need all this various money to square their books, like you said. Right. And no other bank was functioning and lending them the money for the overnight because because why that was the whole question why did they not want to give their other banks money for overnight it's just overnight right because they didn't trust them right because there's maybe a problem in the system oh obviously 
Right. And so. So this is, so for people who don't really pay attention to things, you know, everything that has happened, people just think, oh, it's because of the virus. It's just because of the virus. But things have been building up from 2008, just more corruption, more, you know. More leverage. More more leverage, more debt. The things were not cleaned up in 2008, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Um, So you were just seeing that and already you were like, oh, bro, I got to get my stuff out. So really it was kind of COVID-19 happened and it was, as you would say, the perfect storm. Right, right. And then, I mean, the Zero Hedge was totally focused on these this repo issues and was constantly reporting on it, you know, as well as other things. But then you start seeing this trickle of China has this uh, virus going on. And then other YouTube channels started picking up on it, like the, the Peak Prosperity um, started reporting on it. He's a doctor, a pathologist, not a pathologist. What epidemiologist. A, epidemiologist. Epi- well, I, don't quote me on that. I can't remember what he is, <laughs> but he's a doctor. Like he started talking about it. And, and then, uh, you know, a, uh, <clears throat> a website from the, um, uh, not the NIH, the. The who? The, HWO? No, the, the website with the, the, that shows the, the virus breakout. Oh, John Hopkins. John's, thank you. God, yeah. No money. Yeah, so yeah. the John Hopkins came out. And I, that was probably January sometime. And you start seeing the blips of the virus, you know, the, right. the expansion of the virus. And then you start seeing the news stories of, oh, God, they're closing down an entire giant city. Right. Of, they're just shutting it 10 down. 10 million people. They are shutting down the factories. And I was thinking, what the heck? Like that doesn't just happen. For yeah, you, a little they don't flu. just do that. No matter what they're saying, you know, if they're lying or whatever they're doing, they shut down the city. Right. So I'm thinking those are all the U.S. factories. Was at that point, that's what I'm thinking is it's all the right. U.S. factories. So that's going to impact our markets. So I was, I got, I sold everything, everything out, all in cash. And then as you start seeing the blips in different countries, I'm thinking. Okay, well that's <laughs> that's a problem. Um, Meanwhile, everything is still hunky dory. Yeah, in the everything. US. Exactly. Everything was fine. People were still flying. The federal government was paying no attention Stop to it. Stock market to all time highs. All time highs. No and, one was saying anything. And so, I'm trying to figure out what do I, what do I do? I've got to do something because I need to make money on this, right? <laughs> Of course. <laughs> and so it's, you know, January, February, still just absolutely nothing happening. U.S. totally ignoring everything. Absolutely doesn't care. So the, the, the this thing I sort of focused on was this is going to be a volatile market, right? And there's something called the volatility index, the VIX. Um, and there are various ways to invest on volatility. There are, again, ETFs like we already talked about, and there's an ETF on the VIX, and there are two times ETFs, which double you know, what the, the ETF does, and there are three times, and there are various things. So, so <clears throat> I bought into a two times, I think it was two times, it might have been three times. I can't remember which one it was. And... and 
it was very low at the time because, like I said, the markets weren't paying any attention. And right. it was, you know, I had it for, we had Are it for weeks. Are you talking about UVXY? UV, it's called UVXY. Yeah. Uh, bought it. I told Sarah about it. Yeah. She got some. <laughs> I made, I'll tell you, I made $20,000 off of it. Yeah. So you can only, and I was conservative, conservatively betting on this. Okay. So you can only imagine the damage that father did. Because... Um, <laughs> My theory is always, I took, I always want to diversify in what I'm doing. So the the bulk of my money, I took, I took the half of my money that I had in stocks and I, I cashed those out. But then I kept my mutual funds because those aren't as vol- volatile. And, you know, it turns out once the Fed started buying up things like, oh, that those mutual funds actually didn't, you know, um, take that bad of a hit and now I'm taking those stocks that I took out and now you know investing again at a lower price so I didn't I didn't move much based on my chunk of money but he started talking about this UVXY and guys I'm telling you look go on your Apple stocks app type in UVXY look at Sophie our cat is just meowing at us look at how it moved in the past couple months we bought it at ten dollars and it peaked out in one month to 110. Um, so I was kind of obsessively like buying, selling for a month or so. It consumed my entire life. And that's a whole nother story in that I probably slacked on my YouTube. So all of this to say that, yeah, I made that good chunk of money, but I probably could have made that same chunk of money by just focusing on YouTube. So it's something that if you're passionate about it and you love it, you can make these these chunks of money, but you don't want to go into it willy-nilly, right? I yeah, only it, did that because of you, because you're sitting at your computer researching like crazy, right? Um, so you saw UVXY, you're like, oh, this is interesting. Yeah, and it's, it's well, I mean, I, what I saw was the whole COVID thing. And then right, I right. thought, how? what do I do about it? Right. And you can do that with anything i mean that was it was at the point in january and february it was so incredibly obvious and so bizarre to me that the u.s <laughs> stock market was going to all-time highs right. it, it it was a hundred percent guaranteed to me right for what i did it was guaranteed right and you can also do that with companies you may know about if right. you know about you know, a new Uber or getting mm-hmm. something like that. And you're super passionate and, and, about it. You're reading up about it. It's not that you have insider knowledge because right. you're an employee. We're not talking about insider no, trading. No, We're talking it's just about that you see being them. diligent. You see it. You see what other people don't right. see. And guys, if you see the ba- bandwagon, you're too late. Right. Okay. Right, right. Or if you see, you know, Apple back in 90, whenever the iPhone first came out, and you go, oh, my God. That's so much better than all the other crappy right. cell phones out and there. In 2006. Yeah, yeah. 2006. You buy the heck out of it. Yeah. You know, that's you dig into it, mm-hmm. research it. You understand what companies align with your own passions, right. and that makes it fun. Right. The so thing you, with this yeah. COVID thing was it was a big um, macro event. Right. Um, a super economic event. So and that even right now, if you look at the markets rallying, and it is <laughs> – is getting so close to where it was and does that make sense to you right it doesn't make sense to me with 15 percent unemployment mm-hmm. you should think about that right right 
are we in in it for another dip yeah yes we are (laughs) (laughs) but Um, it's timing is everything right timing is so basically you saw something that a lot of people know about vix which is a volatility index it basically tracks the volatility of the market so if it's going to go crazy down or something the vix is going to indicate that via a number and uvxy was an etf that sells off of that that tracks the vix right Right, and it tracks actually two times the VIX. So. Right. And the VIX is really volatile, so when the VIX moves 10%, that thing moves 20%. Right, so which is why... Which was wonderful. Yeah, that was just crazy. It's You're also dangerous. Me, it's very dangerous. <laughs> because as we, you know, like, yay, good job, you made a killing. But then if you talk about your Microsoft stock that you own in 2001, that that got really hurt in the tech bubble right so things even out over time but that wasn't my fault that wasn't your fault but (laughs) well you weren't diversified yeah but those were options working for the company options so there wasn't gotcha 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 so i'm sure everyone working at microsoft during that time was just devastated when everything right or devastated i can't say words um so yeah there's a little just candy for you guys at the end um, I feel like I never, cause I feel like during this time I was tweeting things and stuff, but I never wanted to like reveal UVXY cause I feel like, I don't know why the internet has me so paranoid if I tell, cause isn't there things if you tell people or even suggest them to invest in a certain thing, like they could sue you or something. I don't know. Yeah. We, we no advice being given. Exactly. So this is, this is in retrospect. I feel safe saying it because it's it's already back down to 40 or something. Oh, yeah. Um, 30. 30, yeah. So there's things like that. There's also SPXS, which... Which is a uh, ETF, S- which uh, is... On the S&P. Shorting the S&P. Right, which is shorting the S&P. So that was, that was moving, but it wasn't moving as fast as UVXY. Um, and so, yeah, food for thought, things to think about. Because when this... this it was, I've had two moments in my life where I've gotten really excited. It's when I bought Bitcoin at like, you know, 3,500. And then all of a sudden it was going up to 19,000. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's going to go to the moon. So I didn't sell any of it. You know, I didn't right, sell any. Right, but the halving in Bitcoin is coming in yeah, three days. Yeah, well, that's a whole other thing. But I'm just saying, <laughs> two years ago when that happened, I had my first experience right, of experiencing, right. if you see the bandwagon, if grandma is calling you, asking you how to buy and Bitcoin. And she was. And, and she, she was. was. That's when you sell. That's when you <laughs> yes, sell. Yes, that's, that's when you sell. That's not when you buy. Right. When I bought it at 4000 that's when I was making my money. So I that was the first hype train that I got caught up in, so I never sold any. I, I sold some at like 15k. Um but so this was the first time that I feel like I was on the right side because of you, you were just telling me what to do. Um but it's because you bought UVXY because no one understood what was going on. And the market moved and cratered on the anticipation of what was going to happen. Keep in mind when people were are still getting laid off and unemployment is crazy, like you said, the market was going up because the Fed kept buying stocks. The stimulus package was here. So the stock market isn't really an indication of like what is happening, but uncertainty. It is supposed to be an indication of the future. It's really. supposed but to. But they're right. discounting like two years from now, which is dumb. Right, right, right. They've never, it's never happened before. This has never happened before. Right, so, right. careful. Exactly. But why it moved so crazy 
initially that crazy drop we didn't even have a ton of cases but it's when things started trickling in it was the uncertainty right, that made right. everyone pull their money out of the market right and so that's what you'll see a lot even when times are actually crazy right now well you wouldn't think people are buying but it was the uncertainty in the beginning is what really created things for some so, for some reason right now they're certain everything's gonna be fine, right 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 which which you shouldn't you know. be. Yeah. So maybe we'll do a follow-up podcast in a year when all of this has settled down. I hope the basics helped you guys. Everyone, let's go. Yay, Papa Peach. Yay. Thank you. There's no socials to promote or anything. So I guess you can just leave and I'll sum, I'll sum up this podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Any Thank you for letting words? me leave. <laughs> Thank you for letting you leave. You're dismissed. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed that. You got some things to Google. Um, and if you're still intimidated after listening to that, just I, I wanted to make this to be like, hey, you're not alone. Let's start having an open conversation about finances. And I think um, there's some good YouTubers out there like Graham Stephan, who who is talking about this, really sharing the basics, also sharing, you know, how he's making money. And I think it's more about just being transparent, talking to real people, figuring out how real people are navigating things like this, not uh, not people who are trying to sell you their thousand dollar course to unlock, you know, the secret sauce knowledge because there is no secret sauce. There, there is not one person who has the magic eight ball, right? It's being educated. It's understanding the basics of finance um, because knowledge is power. It really is. The man doesn't want you to know this knowledge. The man wants to keep you down. Right. <laughs> Anyways, I'm getting off track here, but hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Leave me a tweet at Saradishi or at That Creative Life. What you thought about this podcast. Share it with a friend. Share it with your kids. Share it with your parents. Share it with your aunt, uncle, your cat, whoever you think needs to to hear this podcast. And I would just like to personally thank BNH Photo for sponsoring this podcast, for supporting that creative life. They are amazing supporters of the creative community, not just in New York City, but everywhere. Um, they are the place to get all of your photo, video, uh, computer needs, iPads, MacBooks, all the things. And, you know, when life settles down when the world settles um and hopefully the crazy bnh superstore opens back up in new york city that is something to put on your bucket list it is if you are into photography videography anything that has to do with gear music it it feels like you're a kid in a candy store it is such a cool experience i recommend it to everyone but in the meantime they're still shipping out uh, all of these things in in a really timely manner so if you need that elgato cam link to connect your fancy camera to your computer to where your video looks great when you do zoom calls they have that gear and they can they can get it to you in a timely manner because i know some uh places are are delaying shipments for a while you know we're used to <laughs> getting things super quick but it definitely has changed so check out bnhphoto.com all of the links in the description below if you're ever curious what my podcast equipment the mic that i'm talking on right now the recorder i'm using to record this audio i always leave those uh, bnh links down in the show notes below and you can check them out so thank you bnh photo for sponsoring this podcast thank you for tuning in every single monday that creative life check out the socials and until next monday every single monday thank you for listening <laughs>